0: Uh, morning, everyone. It's good to be back here with you this morning. Uh, I'm Sam. If we haven't met, uh, myself and Luke and Naomi have just come back this week from a mission trip to Japan. We had a great time partnering with a local church there. If you want to hear more, you can ask us afterwards. Uh, As we begin, I'm going to pray that God would help us to understand. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your words of life that testify to the Lord Jesus We pray that as we read your word in Isaiah this morning, you would help us to understand, you would help us to believe, and you would help us to live faithful lives in response to your word and what you've done for us through the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, today is our last sermon on Isaiah for a while, as David told us this morning. We've reached the halfway point. Good work. Our last two chapters today are actually going to take us back to the beginning. Uh, Right back to the question which came up at the beginning of Isaiah. Do you remember how Isaiah began? It was a few months ago now. It started with a tale of two cities. Uh, One city, if you remember, was the present day Jerusalem. It was a city in rebellion against God, uh, a city full of selfish people trying to live the good life. Uh, A city of people whose religion was all show and no substance. A city of people who kept ignoring God's warnings. And the other city was a vision of Jerusalem as God always intended her to be. A city of peace where there's no war or fighting. A city of justice where God's word will not just be on people's lips, but it will be in their lives. Uh, A city where everyone is welcome, and a city that nations from all over the world will want to live in, God's holy city. And as we've been reading the book of Isaiah, we keep facing this question, how is sinful Jerusalem, uh, God's rebellious people, going to become God's holy city, God's holy people? If you remember, we saw some hints that the answer involves a king from the line of David, We saw uh, there is a child who will be called a wonderful counsellor, prince of peace, a ruler who will be filled with God's spirit and will rule justly. But who is this king? Uh, Last Sunday, we met King Hezekiah, a king from the line of David. He looks promising. When the mighty Assyrian army was threatening the city of Jerusalem, he did the right thing. He turned to God in prayer God sent an angel, the army was decimated, and the city was rescued. Well, today we're going to learn more about Hezekiah. Uh, We're getting some flashbacks into his earlier life, before the army invaded. It's kind of like we're in a movie, we've met a new character, and now Isaiah is showing us flashbacks of his past to help us understand what kind of person he really is. And what we see is two very different pictures. Uh, Hezekiah's faith in a time of crisis, followed by Hezekiah's foolishness in a time of calm. So let's dive in and have a look. Uh, Isaiah 38, verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, "'Thus says the Lord, set your house in order.' for you shall die, you shall not recover. The end seems near, Uh, the writing's on the wall, Hezekiah is sick and dying. Now there's no army at the gates yet, Uh, but the kingdom is in crisis, because if the king dies, the city is in trouble. And whatever hope Hezekiah might have had goes out the window when he gets the message from God, you are going to die, get ready. So he does the only thing he can do, verse 2. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I've walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Faced with death, he prays desperately with tears, and suddenly God responds. Uh, verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life. Isaiah is barely out of the room when God speaks to him and sends him back to Hezekiah with another message. God has heard, he has seen, and he has compassion. He acts to heal and restore Hezekiah. Now, later on in verse 21, we learn that the way God chose to heal Hezekiah was through a medical procedure. Uh, Hezekiah was told to get a bunch of figs, mush them together, and strap them onto his wound. Now, this sounds a little weird. I don't recommend you try it at home. This is not a secret Bible home remedy. Uh, this is the way you tried to heal infections before the days of antibiotics. You got a mixture and you left it on the wound to help draw out the toxins. It's a good reminder for us that God's healing power and medicine are not two separate things. Uh, God often works through ordinary means. Well, let's read on because God does more than Hezekiah asked. He also promises to give Jerusalem relief. Verse 6. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. This shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord would do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turn back ten steps. So the sun turned back on the dial, the ten steps by which it had declined. God promises he's going to defend the city and save it from the king of Assyria, and he gives Hezekiah a sign to prove it. You see, in the Bible, kings and their cities usually go together. Uh, the king represents the people. And so, as well as saving Hezekiah, God promises to save the city. That's what we saw last week, wasn't it? Uh, the Assyrian army was at the gates. God smashed the army and sent them running, just as he had promised to hear. Now, how does Hezekiah respond uh, to all of this, God's amazing work? He's so happy that he writes a poem. Have you ever woken up one morning and thought, man, I'm so happy I could write a poem. Uh, I haven't, and that's a good thing, because any poem I write would be very awkward. But Hezekiah can't help himself. God has saved him, brought him back from death, and he wants to sing about it. Uh, Look in verse 20 at how his poem ends. Verse 20, the Lord will save me, and we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. Our flashback ends with Hezekiah healthy and happy. His faith is in the right place. But I think the point of this chapter is not meant to be Hezekiah's faith, but actually God's faithfulness. And I think there's a lesson for us here about prayer. Have you ever felt like God is distant? Have you ever wondered whether God is listening to your prayers? Whether your prayers can actually bring about change? In the world. This episode in Hezekiah's life is showing us that God is not distant, that He does listen when His people pray. When we cry out in grief and sorrow, God sees our tears and He acts in response to our prayers. He is faithful. Isn't that a wonderful encouragement to pray? When you kneel in your room at home and pray, The living God is listening and watching. Now, he may not always answer our prayers how we would like him to or when we would like him to. But we see this morning that he always hears them. So, things are looking good for Hezekiah. Uh, But there's a warning note as well, isn't there? Because Hezekiah is only given 15 more years. The relief is temporary. He's still going to die What will happen when he dies? What will the fate of Jerusalem be? Well, let's look at chapter 39, the next flashback, and see Hezekiah's foolishness. Verse 1 At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he'd been sick and had recovered. This flashback begins sometime after Hezekiah has recovered from his sickness. The crisis is over. Now we're in a time of calm. And we meet some diplomatic messengers from this far-off kingdom called Babylon. Now remember, at this time in history, Babylon was still small. Assyria was the big bully in the region. And that's probably why the king of Babylon has sent these messengers with gifts and flattery for Hezekiah, He wants to make some sort of alliance. And look at how Hezekiah responds. Verse 2. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly. He showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, his precious oil, the whole armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Good old Hezekiah is very excited these messengers have come from far away Babylon to visit little old Jerusalem. It's a bit like New Zealand whenever we have foreign visitors. We're so glad they've come all this way to see us. We always put out the red carpet. That's what Hezekiah is doing. He's giving them a personal tour, showing off his kingdom. But notice what he doesn't do. And there's no praise for the God who has just healed him and brought him back from death. No poems or songs. No invitations for Isaiah to uh, God's prophet to come and join the discussion. Instead of glorifying God to these foreigners, Hezekiah shows off his own glory. Instead of seeking God's guidance through Isaiah, Hezekiah has his own private discussions. What did Hezekiah and these messengers from Babylon talk about exactly? The weather, price of pistachios, The camel trip on the way over? We don't know. But when God sends Isaiah to question him, Hezekiah gets a little bit defensive. Verse 3 Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, "Uh, They've come to me from a faraway country, from Babylon. Isaiah says, What have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, "Uh, They've seen all that is in my house. There's nothing in my storehouses I didn't show them. Notice how Hezekiah dodges the question. Uh, Have you ever seen a guilty child who's just been caught and they've been asked, What are you doing? Uh, They know they're in trouble, but they know they're not meant to lie, so they go silent and try to avoid the question. That's what Hezekiah is doing when he's asked about his discussion. You see, despite God's promises to defend Jerusalem, despite God bringing Hezekiah back from death, now that his time of crisis is over and life is calm, he's being foolish. He's put God to the side. He's trying to make his own alliances. And Isaiah has some bad news for him. Verse 5. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, will be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon." The days are coming, Isaiah says, when Jerusalem will be captured by these people that you're trying to buddy up with. The city will be ransacked and some of your family will be taken into exile as prisoners. The relief is only temporary. Now, how does uh, the great Hezekiah, the man of faith, respond to this terrible news? Does he turn his face to the wall again and weep for his city and his children? Does he organize an emergency prayer meeting? Does he do anything? Look at verse 8. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought there will be peace and security in my days. What a hopeless king. Uh, What a selfish king. When his own life was on the line, he wept and he cried and he prayed, Please save me. But when the fate of his entire city and his own children is on the line, he says, Oh well, the Lord has spoken. At least there'll be peace in my time. Hezekiah is foolish. Uh, This flashback we see shatters any hope we have that he's going to be the king to save Israel. And it shows us the fate of Jerusalem. This is actually the last time we hear about Hezekiah in the book of Isaiah, Uh, It ends on a negative note. He was a good king, but like David and Solomon, he was far from perfect. If you flick over uh, later, uh, if you want to, into 2 Kings, chapter 21, you can read the history of what happens next. Uh, Hezekiah dies, his son Manasseh becomes king after him and leads the people of Jerusalem away from God and into sin even more. Uh, Eventually, more than a hundred years after Hezekiah's death, one of his great-grandsons is on the throne and the army of Babylon invades. Jerusalem is destroyed, the treasures are taken, and the people are taken into exile, just as God promises here in Isaiah. Hezekiah is foolish. But do you think we sometimes act like Hezekiah today? That is, do we trust God in times of crisis, but as soon as life is calm again, forget about him and live our own way? Uh, I think I often fall into this pattern. Last week, uh, Hank challenged us that if we believe in the living God, it must shape the way we live, especially in times of crisis. But our belief in God shouldn't stop when the crisis is over. When life seems calm and peaceful, it's tempting to think that we're in control. Uh, When uh, life is calm, it's tempting to make our own decisions without bringing them to God in prayer. It's tempting to live for our own happiness and not for the good of others. And it's tempting to forget that God's final judgment is still coming. Because when life is good and the world is calm... The idea of God's judgment seems so far away, doesn't it? Maybe we slip into the same kind of thinking as Hezekiah. Surely there will be peace and security in my lifetime. Surely God's judgment is still far off. Friends, let's keep reminding ourselves as we meet together of Jesus' return. It's the hope we have, the day when Jesus will return in glory, It will mean salvation for us, but judgment for the world. And do you remember what Jesus said about when this will happen? Suddenly, unexpectedly, without warning. Maybe this year, next year, we don't know. And that's why we're going door-knocking this afternoon in our community. We want to invite our neighbours to come and hear the good news about Jesus because it's urgent judgment is still coming. And when Jesus returns, it will be too late. Let's keep reminding ourselves of this as we meet together. Uh, The final thing we need to see is that Jesus is the opposite of Hezekiah, and that's a good thing for us. You see, Hezekiah is a king who tries to save his own life and shows no concern for God's people. But when Jesus comes... He's the opposite. Jesus is a king who freely offers up his own life instead of holding on to it. And Jesus does this in order to redeem God's people from the death they deserve. As we read in John 10 this morning, Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And that's the answer to the question of Isaiah. How does sinful Jerusalem, God's rebellious people, become God's holy city uh, when the servant king dies for his people to atone for their sin. Jesus is the kind of king that Israel really needs, and he's the kind of king that we need as well. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words to us through the prophet Isaiah. We praise you for your character, that you are slow to anger, quick to show mercy, and rich in compassion. We thank you that you delight to hear our prayers and answer them. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, our servant King. We pray that you help us fix our hearts and minds on Christ, so that we might live wisely as we wait for his return. And We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.